It's hard to make a difference in the world when you feel broken. You may feel like you don't have the energy or the emotional resources to do anything to help others. Or you may believe that you don't know how to heal yourself. But by bringing healing to yourself, you can awaken to the many ways you can bring healing to the world and help make the world a better place. So today's podcast is the second of a two-part episode we began last week, and we will be discussing the steps toward the journey of healing for yourself so you can live interdependently and help heal the world. Hi, my name is Will Sampson. I'm a social scientist who helps guide executives and companies to new levels of growth. If you want to improve your life all by yourself, you know what, that's your business. But if you want help from others, well, that's our business. And that's what this podcast is all about, helping each other succeed. Now, we do that by inviting people into a growing revolution of interdependence. I am a pretty smart guy. <laughs> now, that may seem like a really unusual way to kick off the topic of our podcast, which is the second part of our mini-series on how to find healing for ourselves in the world. But hopefully when I share the story I'm about to share, you'll see the context for it. So I am a pretty smart guy. I have, I have a PhD in sociology, an earned PhD, and that's a rare place to be in the world. More than 50% of people who start PhD programs don't even finish them. I have a master's degree in a technical field from a really great business school. I've published two books and several book chapters, including one that was peer-reviewed by Oxford University. But I want to take you back to me as a nine-year-old. I was born in the 60s and raised in the 70s and 80s. Now, this was a time before the diagnosis of ADD was well-established, and I'm not even sure I knew of the term until much later. Maybe I was in my 20s or maybe even in my early 30s. But around the time I was nine years old, my ADD began to be a factor in my schooling and in my development. You know, I sometimes coach clients who, like me, dealt with learning disabilities in their formative years. And by the way, I later learned, this was in my 40s, that I have a second learning disability, which is called a cognitive processing disorder. But I want to take you back to that nine-year-old version of me. Because attention deficit disorder was not well understood, and it was just assumed that I was lazy or a, some kind of airhead or a horrible combination of both. And it was around this time that my schoolwork started to reflect my disorder. I was naturally bright and curious, but I had a real struggle in seeing my way through even basic assignments. Like a lot of people who suffer from learning disabilities, I came to believe that well, I came to believe that I was just broken, that I had been given an intellect and an ability to understand deep concepts, but there was something missing. I was incomplete. And I remember one story from that time period. It's one I come back to often when I'm thinking about my journey from where I was to where I am today. So I was nine years old. There was a homework assignment on which I had received an F. Now, maybe you've seen the movie A Christmas Story. If you had, you'd remember the scene where Ralphie, he's the main character, he gets his paper back 
And it's a paper that he's been thinking about all the whole time because he really wants this Red Rider BB gun. And so all of his hopes were tied up in this paper. And he gets the paper back. And on the top of this homework is a big red mark. I think it was a C plus. And then the teacher wrote, you'll shoot your eye out. I remember the mark on my homework the same way. There was a big red F and it was written in a waxy crayon. As I think back now, I can even remember the scent of the crayon. My teacher was Mrs. Kostenko. I remember the smudge of the mimeographed assignment from back in the day before copiers and printers got as good as they are now. And that memory, when I think of it, it fills me with some shame. Now, I couldn't, at the time especially, I couldn't understand why I simply couldn't complete the assignment. I didn't understand the F. I've thought about that incident several times in my healing, and truthfully, I can't even remember what the topic was. (laughs) I just remember this feeling of deep shame. Shame that kept kept me from being willing to show my parents that homework assignment. I don't think I was supposed to get it signed, which meant I could hide the paper. So somewhere between the street and my house, there were these trees and and it was fall. So the ground was covered in leaves and I knew those leaves weren't gonna get raked until spring. So I tore that assignment up into pieces and I buried it in those leaves. Now, (laughs) one of the reasons I remember the incident so well is that apparently I didn't rip it up into small enough pieces because that happened in the fall and in the spring my dad was raking leaves in the in that area and part of that assignment was unearthed in fact it was the part with the big red f and I I definitely had some explaining to do but the other reason I remember it is that it was just one of many similar incidents in my childhood the childhood marked by learning disabilities, academic struggles, shame. The good news is that I was able to turn that pain into something positive, hopefully, in terms of contributing to the world intellectually. But the pain and the trauma didn't go away. And neither did the sense of loneliness, that deep feeling of loneliness that I felt during those years. See, my parents were both quite bright. My mother finished a degree in biochemistry as a woman in the 1940s, which was an accomplishment in and of itself. My father was very well trained. They both had these strong scientific minds. I was the youngest of six and the only boy and a person, as we've talked about, stricken with attention deficit disorder. So I started to believe that I was broken and I was completely on my own. And I was just weird. (laughs) So looking back on my resume, you don't see those scars, but that's how trauma works. It's often hidden in the space behind our public selves. Often our accomplishments, they are attempts to prove to the world that we are not those things that caused us pain. But those accomplishments don't heal us internally, and that's why healing is so important. Now, I shared last week that this topic of healing, it's interesting to think of in light of interdependence. We tend to think of healing as a solitary journey, and for reasons I talked about last week, it's a journey we must own 
for ourselves. But it's also true that we didn't come to our place of brokenness by ourselves. I have yet to meet that person who can come to their place of healing by themselves because of that. See, there's this great cultural narrative, I guess, that the most successful among us are those who pull themselves completely up by their own bootstraps. We use, we use phrases like that that are a kind of cultural shorthand for this notion that we are personally and individually responsible for our own healing and our own success. But, and I've talked about this on a few episodes, listen to the story of any individual who has achieved any level of great things. And you'll quickly hear the story, you know, the roles that other people played. So it's a good reminder that none of us experienced trauma alone, and none of us will experience healing alone. We talked about three ideas last week that I just want to recap quickly. The first idea is that your healing and my healing are deeply interconnected. If, you're, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would recommend going back and listening to it after this, after this one. But we talked about, in that episode, we talked about the idea of karma. Karma is not fate. Karma is not a bitch, as we say. Karma is simply the course of our life and the outcome of our life decisions. But karma does have a bigger sense of intergenerational consequences, which, was, which is where we got a lot of our bad ideas about karma. See, we think that because we, you know, because we flipped that guy off at the stop sign or we didn't, you know, tip our barista, that karma is going to force us to come back in the next life as a bug or a slug or, a, you know, a sloth. But as I shared last week, we are seeing growing scientific evidence for the intergenerational nature of our trauma. See, for social scientists for, for many years, for decades, try to explain, explain things like deviance and why it can often be true, for example, that father and son can be in the same jail. Now, there was a landmark study in 2013 at Emory University and it was among mice, but there's definitely some learning for, for humans there. It showed that trauma can be embedded in our genes and can show up in children and grandchildren, even if they have not experienced the specific set of events that occurred to us. So when we think about healing, we need to think about ourselves and our own personal journey, but we also need to think of all the other people who played a part in our journey. That includes our family of origin, the place where we grew up, our neighborhoods, our social systems around where we were raised, even the events that transpired in our lives because of the choices we've made. And it also includes, as we are increasingly understanding scientifically, the things that we inherited. Maybe you had, have blue eyes and your mother had blue eyes. So you recognize that you inherited that trait from her. Maybe like me, you have a proclivity toward substance abuse and diabetes. See, I discovered later in life, those are multi-generational traits in my family. Now, the, the diabetes we understand, the alcoholism less so. But as you think about your healing, 
what you need to recognize is that you are carrying the pain of many generations inside of you. And so accomplishing your healing is a way of resolving decades and sometimes even centuries-long struggles. And healing yourself allows you the freedom. It allows you the freedom of thought and will to be involved in the healing of others. Now, we also talked last week, and just to recap here, about the reality that healing, healing is going to be a journey that will be accompanied by the pain of discovery. So the poet Rumi, he said that the cracks are where our light shines through. And that was a poetic way of saying that as we move toward healing, those areas in which we have been hurt are areas where we can provide healing for others. And that concept spans a lot of different philosophies and religions. There's actually a passage in one of the Christian scriptures where the writer talks about comforting others in the same way those individuals had been comforted. So bringing healing to others in the way that they had been harmed. And that's, that's really one of the bedrock principles of recovery, that as we heal, we bring healing to others in those same areas of pain. But that journey is filled with the trauma of remembering. See, Oftentimes, the reason we're not as conscious of our healing is because we have shielded ourselves against those painful memories. And that left us stunted emotionally, stunted spiritually. It left us unable to be a force for healing in the world because we were broken ourselves. So to go back to Rumi's analogy, the light couldn't shine through our cracks because those cracks were covered over with years and sometimes decades worth of gloss in, in our attempt to shield ourselves from pain. Now, the third idea to recap from last week is that while it's true that your healing and my healing are bound up together, it's also true that you need to own your own journey. And this is one of the great ironies, paradoxes of karma, especially to the Western mindset. So we're so individualistic and so psychological in our frame of mind that we have a difficult time understanding the social view or the social mindset. But as you come to understand things like interdependence and the way in which our journey affects everyone else's journey, it's important to remember that being able to heal others begins with the decision to own our own healing. Now, this decision to own our own healing is where interdependence, ironically, can show up as one of our greatest strengths and allies. Because it's also true that early in our journey toward healing, we need others. We need others who will love us until we can love ourselves. We need others who will believe in us until we can believe in ourselves. But never mistake the love and belief that can come from others for the crucial decision to own our own journey toward healing. So we begin our journey by realizing that your healing and my healing are bound up together. We prepare for the pain that we will feel in that journey, and we recognize that personal ownership over our own healing is critical. Now this week we're going to talk about two other parts of the journey. I introduced them last week, 
Um, the journey toward healing is a step-by-step process. And by extension, the path toward healing is a journey. It's not in a single event. If you commit to it, you'll be moving toward healing the rest of your life. You'll never be fully healed, never quote-unquote fixed. But let's start by focusing on the step-by-step nature of the journey toward healing. The truth is that we spent years getting broken. (laughs) One of my earliest memories is from when I was three years old. Now, it wasn't a particularly problematic trauma that didn't involve, you know, being hit or anything. In fact, it's probably the earliest memory of the way in which my brain is simply wired differently than the neurotypical brain. It doesn't involve any abuse or direct harm, but, you know, I began my journey toward healing more than two years ago. My earliest trauma memory is from three years old. So that meant I had more than 50 years of living. I had more than 50 years of accumulated pain and trauma. I had 50, more than 50 years of mistakes. I had decades of hurts that I had caused others and decades of hurts that had been caused to me. So the truth is that we spent years getting broken. I know that may be a kind of an awkward way to describe it, but the pain and the trauma that we feel were years in the making. And the journey toward freeing ourselves from that pain, it's gonna happen the same way. Now I can tell you from my own experience that there are times when that journey feels like a daily, sometimes even an hourly trudge. But then there's the moments when it feels like I've jumped forward a mile. You know, while those moments of jumping forward quickly are quite rare, I can tell you what they all share, which is that there's something that occurred to me after I had been doing the daily work, journaling, meditating, finding places to be vulnerable and authentic with others. It's also true that um, because of the step-by-step nature of healing, it's important that as we heal, we find new things about which to heal. So when I started my recovery journey, I, I filled an entire notepad with pain, actually a couple of them. You wouldn't think that 100 pages of writing could be filled with regrets, trauma, and painful moments. But in the years since then, I've gained new insights. I've discovered old ideas that held me captive that I wasn't thinking of at the time. And... Let me make a quick aside because the pushback against the kind of healing journey I'm advocating is this. It's the pushback from the cognitive and individual, individualistic psychological world that we live in that says, don't focus on the past, only plan for the future. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that sight, in that insight, I should say. What I think is missing from that advice, and I believe is being corrected in more of the modern psychological approach is the understanding that planning to move forward while carrying a 100-pound backpack of pain and trauma is it's foolhardy at best and certainly not possible or at least the likelihood of success is very low. So the journey toward healing has to be by its very nature step by step. 
because we gain new insight and understanding all along the way. We can even uncover new memories, new traumas. Now, again, I'm not advocating that we discover all the ways people have hurt us in the past so that we can sit around and, you know, feel justified in our pain. And definitely not so we can give ourselves an excuse to sit in that pain and misery. Here's what I'm advocating. I'm advocating that we take the journey toward healing step by step because we may gain new perspectives. We may gain new memories. And to the extent that we can unearth those events that caused us pain and suffering, to the extent that we can reframe them in light of our present reality, we can expose those thoughts to the sunlight and move beyond them. We can then be free to journey forward toward wholeness and healing. Now, the other reason the journey toward healing must really by its very nature be step by step is that each new part of the journey requires a different version of you. Another way we might think of it is that each new part of your journey also requires a different skill set. Let's say, let's say you wanted to climb a mountain, okay? So the first part of your journey starts at home before you ever even travel to the mountain. What skills are required there? Well, planning, forethought. You need some research. You need to learn as much as you can about what you're going to be facing on the climb, on the journey. And the next part is still at home. This is the packing part where you want to be sure you're not, you're, you want to be sure you're only bringing those things that are absolutely necessary. And the next part of the journey is going to involve the skills of getting to the right place on the mountain. And then as you face the mountain, you have to be able to use the skills of observation, plan the ideal path to traverse. So what began as an idea while you were sitting on your couch and ends with you successfully at the top of the mountain, that all required many different types of skills for that journey. And the same is going to be true in your journey toward healing. So the journey toward healing involves a step-by-step approach because we didn't experience the trauma all at once and we will not heal all at once. That journey will expose new memories and new insights and it will require new tools as we move forward. It is a step-by-step process. And then our final point in this journey toward healing. So this is the fifth point of the five from the two weeks. So it's kind of a carryover from last week is that we need to visualize the process as a journey and not a single event. So to illustrate this, it might be helpful to think about the types of healing that are made possible by seriously engaging in the process. So let's start first with physical healing. You know, as I began to heal, I realized how much trauma I was carrying in my body itself. I referenced this book last week, but if you haven't read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, I would strongly recommend it. When I began my healing, I was overweight, I was chemically depressed, and I was just out of shape. The weight slowed me down. I couldn't bring the energy I needed to do the hard work of healing. And I I mentioned depression when talking about my physical recovery because, you know, as I began to heal my body, I realized how much of my depression was caused 
by what was happening in my body and in the physical part of my brain. I just had, I just had some messed up chemical processes. And as I began to heal, I was able to get off of depression medication. Now, let me be really clear about something. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice. But getting serious about healing the pain in my life, it gave me the freedom to address my physical healing. And as I've begun to feel heal physically, it's, allow, it's allowed me really to imagine all kinds of other healing. Another path of healing that's been an important part of my journey has been emotional healing. I have the great privilege, frankly, of being part of a recovery community that takes emotional healing seriously. And it's also a community that models emotional healing by demonstrating vulnerability and authenticity. As I have found my voice in that area, that allowed me to think about and to work on and to express my emotional healing in other areas. Now, I'd love to say that my life is emotionally perfect, that I go through each day in this happy state of bliss, and that would not be the case. It's also true that I rarely live in a state of super exuberance. Instead, you know, as I've journeyed toward recovery, as I've journeyed toward healing, I notice that I have less low lows and less high highs. Now, I am somebody who loves adrenaline. <laughs> so getting rid of the high highs was frankly a bit of a shift. But here's what we are learning from neuroscience is that our, our brain dopamine connection is healthiest when we live between the extremes. I have a mentor who has told me repeatedly that it's a lie to, to say that everything is going to be okay. The truth is that everything is okay. <laughs> the world is ordered exactly as it should be ordered and it's my job to be emotionally available to see the world exactly as it is. Emotional healing has allowed me to see the world that way. So seeing this process as a journey and not an event has also brought about a certain amount of financial healing in my life. And I'm not talking about financial well-being like some get-rich-quick or self-help guru might preach. What I'm talking about here is bringing me back into right relationship with things and stuff. After some early painful memories where I saw my financial life get dramatically disrupted. I spent years and decades actually believing that if I ever achieved a certain amount of financial gain that I would be happy, I don't know, healthy, overwhelmed by a feeling of safety. And that did not turn out to be true. And filling my life with the things that money could buy didn't bring me healing in either. In fact, it brought me a sense of emptiness. It simply added a layer of gloss over that crack where the light could, shone, could shine through, but not if it was covered over. So finding healing as a journey has allowed me to move step by step toward a right relationship with my money, my possessions, and frankly, even how spending is going to make me feel. 
being on this journey toward healing and, and never letting myself believe that I had, quote unquote, arrived, has also created dramatic and positive shifts in my spirituality. For those of you who know my story, you may find it surprising. You know, I was raised in a very strong religious context. I had a certain sense of what at the time I perceived were spiritual disciplines. And yet I, I really struggled finding my way in the world. You know, as I look at where I am now, it's impossible to see where I once was in terms of spirituality, religion, and the beliefs that I based my life upon. I can look backwards and see certain milestones, things that happened in 1994 and 1998 and 2001 and so on. I could draw you a map of my spiritual journey, but looking back, I can only remember the starting point the way one remembers the journey down a whitewater river, you know, many miles into the journey. And my ability to be on a journey spiritually has increased my ability to believe in all kinds of other possibilities. I've been down some rugged and rocky paths spiritually, so I believe I'm capable of even steeper climbs. I'm now engaging in work which I have wanted to do for a really long time, largely because I allowed myself the ability to believe that I could. I now have a healthier relationship to the world and the people in the world, partly because I no longer feel that I need to compel everyone to believe exactly as I do. You know, my journey towards spiritual wholeness has been a long and rocky one, but as I came to believe certain things like the beauty in every human spirit, that allowed me to believe other things were possible as well. Now, I don't want to tell you the good side without telling you that my journey toward healing and spirituality, it did involve some difficult choices and frankly, some renegotiation of relationships. Now, this isn't a podcast about religion or politics, but I came from a part of our world, a part of the culture that was dominated by the religious right, by fundamentalist evangelical beliefs, by conservative ideology. So journeying toward wholeness and spirituality has involved changing my relationship with people, places, and things. Now, this is the warning because that change in relationship meant that I'm no longer in charge of what other people believe, what other people do, how other people act. But I would be selling my journey short or selling a false idea of the journey to suggest that there were not painful moments where I experienced difficulty in relationship because I was no longer willing to believe in this kind of us versus them mentality that had been such a part of my culture growing up. Now, relational healing is another area where I've experienced a move toward wholeness because I view this as a journey, not as a single event. I referenced the quote last week that hurt people hurt people. And I was a hurt person who hurt a lot of people around me. And I've seen healing in most of those relationships, but not overnight. Nothing happens quickly. As we begin to uncover and address the pain and trauma in our own life, we're better able to see ourselves relationally and to embody 
true interdependence. Now, the final element we'll talk about in this journey toward healing in, is the type of healing made possible in society. I've made this quite abundantly clear in every episode of the podcast, but the underlying idea behind this podcast is that I am trying to start a revolution of interdependence. That means that we rely on each other. Now, I'm not talking about a, I'm not talking about a false sense of codependence or an unhealthy need for another person, but it's an equally skewed view of the world to believe that we do not need anyone, that we can succeed alone, or that relying on others is for suckers. The reality is that we rely on others all day, every day. And as we move forward on a journey toward healing ourselves, we can imagine a much more whole, more just, more healed society. Now, I normally close our podcast with three journal prompts, but this was kind of a heavy topic today. So I'm only going to offer one journal prompt. I want you to journal this week about the way past trauma affects every aspect of your life. Journal about the way previous hurts cause you to feel pain, suspicion, um, the need for complete self-sufficiency. Next week, I'm going to release an episode called How to Talk to Yourself. And in that episode, we'll unpack some of the lessons that you could learn by journaling this prompt. But that's a wrap for today, folks. Um, please follow me on social. You can find me at Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at the Will Sampson. And please hit the subscribe button below to be notified of the latest episodes. So thanks, everyone. And I will see you next time on the Revolution of Interdependence podcast.